The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello and welcome. This is the latest episode of the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And my guest today is uh, Brent Dolan. Brent Dolan is a men's professional uh, development coach. He's also the host of his own podcast, The Fallible Man. And I'm really excited actually to have him on here today here because I think we're going to have a real interesting conversation. I think we're going to talk about some really neat stuff and some necessary stuff. Um, so Brent, thanks for coming on, buddy. John, I'm, I'm excited about the conversation, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. Cause I looked over your profile, I looked over your website. I like a lot of what I see and I think it's going to lead to a pretty epic conversation here. Brent. So I appreciate you coming on. Uh, okay. So the way I like to start things off is that, you know, we, I like to kind of give people a context for in which we're speaking. So I like to know where people come from and uh, what led us to this point here. So just um, kind of, you know, give us a brief overview. We'll get into more of the nitty gritty details as we go on here. But what brought us here today, Brent? What brought us here today? Mm-hmm. Well, what brought you what brought you here to, as the man you are right now that brought us here talking? Yeah, yeah I know what brought us here. I was but... like, you asked? I said, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just to clarify, like, what right. makes Brent Dowling? A little Dowling too literal sometimes. <laughs> um, man, it's, it's been a strange, long journey getting to here. Uh, my, my life has been, it's a long story, so I won't dig all the way through my life story here, but... Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I just had this sense of urgency. So I'm a former youth minister. Uh, years ago, I worked in youth ministry. It seems like a lifetime ago. And I would see all these young women so frustrated by young men. And I'd listen to what they had going on, right? These girls in my youth group. And I'd look at the boys and listen to the boys talk about what was frustrating them in life and stuff. And I realized there's all these young people without positive role models, right? And then I have, I have to count nine nieces. Okay. And I now have two daughters of my own. And after years of listening to my wife's friends and some family friends, you know, fuss about husbands or boyfriends and their complaints and, and looking at my nieces, cause my younger, I have really, really little nieces. And then I have like adult now younger 20 nieces and I've watched as they've dated and stuff like that. And it's like, they're just, something's got to change. Something's got to budge, right? And so I started thinking about, well, what can I do about that? I, I can sit here and get frustrated about it and make noise and complain, but that's useless. So, so what can I do about it, right? I actually had some female friends ask me to write a book about decoding your husband because I, trans- I translate their husband for them when he'd, he'd do things. And it's like, I really, that I don't think that's, that's going to help. So I actually started writing a book for young men. And then that kind of morphed into, it's like, well, A, no one's going to buy it because I'm nobody. Right. And so I started thinking, what's a better, what's a better way for me to help people? 
And uh, I've been doing public speaking since I was 11. It's, it's like the number one fear in the world, strangely enough, is public speaking. But I've been doing it since I was 11 years old. It's a very comfortable medium for me. So I thought, hey, I can talk. The problem is getting me to shut up sometimes. So I can talk. And the podcast was born. And out of that podcast, it's, it's grown to more and more, right? We're doing more and more with it every year. Uh, we're technically like a little over two and a half years into this journey. And the podcast is growing and I'm trying to grow my YouTube channel, but we've got a comp men's conference going now that's coming up in February. And, but it's just like, I saw this need and, and my answer is always, what can I control? Right? What can I actually control? And the only thing I can truthfully control is me. So if I look at it from that perspective, I thought, how can I help? make the world better? How can I help men be better examples? How can I help men grow? How can I help set examples for the next generations? And that came down to how can I help men reach for the best version of themselves? Right. Uh, there's, there's an old joke about men stop improving after potty training, right? We're not generally encouraged as men to put a lot into ourselves. We hit a certain age and say, they say, okay, get a job support your family. And those are good things. Don't get me wrong, but what about our dreams? What about our purpose? What about our goals? What about the natural gifts that we have or we develop over the years? Isn't there something more for that? And, and I think there is. I think every man has a very unique purpose and skill set and is the culmination of all the events of his life. But we're not encouraged to pursue that or to chase that or to try and really flesh that out or anything like that. And so I, I'm trying to create room for a conversation to do that. So you heard, um, you said you heard a lot of complaints from your, uh, your nieces. Was that correct? You're a lot of complaints from nieces about, about the boyfriends that were in their lives. Um, I think that's fairly common, especially as you're just starting and getting into the dating world and you're just starting to figure out this whole, um, romantic relationship thing when you're very young. Um, but just to kind of uh, illustrate it a bit more, what were some of the complaints that you generally heard from them? Well, just, just, just for clarity's sake, so my nieces don't yell at me later. I, I heard it more from the girls I worked with in the youth groups. Oh, okay. Gotcha. You know, you, you can't complain to your uncle about your boyfriend. That's not cool. I, I had one or two who did, but mm -hmm. that, that's not as common because that's just not, Uncle Brent, we don't talk about that stuff. You know, no, you can't talk to me about my boyfriend. Um, well, the complaints were always just like, why would he act that way? Right. Mm -hmm. And usually it always, almost always came down to a lack of a positive male role model in their lives over and over again. Right. All these young men who they're doing the best they can, but they, they don't have an active, healthy male role model relationship in their life, whether the father's not in the home or has left or they just, it was never there. It's not all fathers, right? Some of them have dads who are just horrible people. I, and I mean, I, I hate to point fingers to people. It's not like I'm perfect, but I I've met some men who are just, I mean, I'm sorry, they're trash. They, they really are. You, you don't treat your family like that. You don't treat your kids like that. And so they just lack a male role models, right? No one's teaching them how to be a healthy young man. And so 
they have these interactions with the girls and they're just following what they see in media or what they think they're supposed to do, right? What they, what they hear talking with their friends as young men and stuff like that. And so, you know, they're hurting these girls because they're just careless with their affections or they're saying things to get things right. Guys are really, really good about that. We use all the right words to try and get her to do whatever with us or, but they're just careless about their affections. And I mean, I, I went through that. I, I, I was a teenager at one point I dated a lot of girls and I really probably did that way too often where I was just careless about the words I use and the way I use them to get a girl to like me or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I had a great example, but I wasn't honing in on that example. And so there's some natural progression, right? As a teenager, we're going to do certain things. But if we start changing the conversation, right? And that's what I tried to do with like the teenage boys that I worked with was try and change that conversation. This is, this isn't the way we talk about women. This isn't the way we talk about dating. This isn't the way we look at this process. Um, but yeah, it was usually, it was usually a lot of carelessness or just a difference in the mind way we think, right? A lot of it was lack of communication and understanding because men and women think very differently despite what some people want to say. And so, I mean, I see that with women in college age and a little bit older, right? And they're just so frustrated because they, their guy is like, I don't understand why he does this. It's like, well, for him, it makes perfect sense. You're trying to project the way you think onto how he should think. And that's not going to work either. So it's, I, I don't want to say it's a small argument. It's hard to break down because there's a lot of conversation that has to happen. A lot of growth on both sides but I, I can't tell women you should do this. What, what I can say is, Hey, let, let's look at life a little differently as men. Right. Right. So it, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking like, cause in, in a broader context here, um, now I know like some States, um, some States like Louisiana or so they have, I think they, they made it a law a couple of years ago that, before two people got married, they had to go through like marriage counseling or something like that, where they had to they had to um, have some sort of a person who was an intermediary of some kind, where mm-hmm. they had to actually see they had to actually see how these people actually interact with each other, how they communicate with each other, how they actually um, how they actually do work uh, function as a unit, as a married unit, which is what a marriage is. Mm-hmm. It's an institution. Um, so I know that's probably an extreme step and I, I, I don't know if I really necessarily advocate on that, on that kind of thing, because I think that's kind of, uh, stepping into an area where the state shouldn't be to some regard. Um, but it almost kind of seems like that's what's almost needed because if you, if you're trying to extend communication, if you're trying to broaden people's understanding here, then you have to kind of almost you have to facilitate it in some in some way. So would you kind of would you kind of think that maybe as a youth pastor too, because you you had that kind of platform where you can kind of get con- people congregated together, and you can actually get them talking. One another. You think that kind of step is just about is what's called for? It's what's needed. Well, I so I, I actually used to do some uh, marriage counseling 
mm-hmm. but a, I would never adv- advocate state or federal involvement in anything like that because right. they're going to screw it up. That's, that, that's a, that's a given. Uh, if you want to screw something up, you add government control. That's what happens. Um, government should stick to governing, not to like relationships and social stuff. I understand their concept, right? And, and I actually encourage all couples to get premarital counseling specifically with someone who aligns with their beliefs, right? I don't want you to go to a regular psychiatrist. I want you to go to a minister that aligns with you and your fiance's goals and beliefs about that marriage, right? Someone who's going to advocate for your relationship. So I would encourage that with anybody because there's just things you don't think to ask when you're in that early period of relationships. Uh, I, I had one couple I was doing counseling with and I asked, I was like, how does his family celebrate Christmas? And she's like, I don't know. You've been dating for three years. How do you not know? I, I don't know. Don't you think that's an important, how, how are you guys going to celebrate Christmas together? Because you have the way you do it. How, how does he do it? So have you had that conversation? Because it's going to happen that first Christmas. I promise. Right. So there are things you don't think about in that early period of relationship about communicating about. And that's usually what's going to happen in premarital counseling. And you can start having those conversations because that's somebody who <laughs> has lived through it a little bit and knows is like, here's the things you're going to fight about in your first year. Right. You're going to fight about holidays. You're going to fight about money. Th- those are two of the really big ones. Oh, you know, I, th- I thought we would go do this with my family this for this holiday. Cause we always do this. Well, I want to do, I do this with my family, right? It's the conversations you don't have in that puppy dog love. Oh, life's wonderful phase. And it's great. So I definitely advocate for that. And I think there's a lot of grounds for it, but you can't force it, right? You can't say you have to do this. I, I know there are churches who will not allow you to get married in the church building without having premarital counselor with that pastor or whatever. And you know what? I, I don't think that's a bad idea, especially if you're looking for a religious ceremony. I, I applaud that there are ministers who are brave enough to go, nope, you can't get married in our building without doing this because we have this experience, especially with what we're like a 63% or 66% divorce rate these days. People go into it with the expectation that there's an out, right? My wife and I got married with the expectation that it was forever and there was no out. We've been married for 22 years now. Yeah. 22 years now are 21 years getting ready to go 22 years. Sorry. (laughs) And there was never an out from day one. That was the agreed on is we're here. We're done. This is it. Once we're together, we're together. People walk into relationships with the, oh, well, I can just get a divorce or this isn't permanent. No, this is permanent to us. And that mindset helps a lot, but you can't force that on somebody. You can't say you have to do this, right? And if you're getting to that point in your relationship and you haven't already established some better communication habits, you're going to struggle anyway. I I think we should actually invoke, if we're going to use some kind of oversight, why don't we have better communication classes in high school? Why, why isn't high quality communication? 
I mean, it's essential for everything, right? It's business, life, relationships. High quality communication skills are essential for everything you're going to do for the rest of your life. So why is that not being taught at the lower level? And I mean, I can go down that rabbit hole, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff, advertising, marketing, taxes, uh, basic finances that should be being taught at a much younger level that aren't. But why isn't that? If we want to talk about maybe how can we start to shore up this, shore up this problem at a broader level, like at you know, a state level, why doesn't states start putting in mandated community? Why isn't that a mandated communication courses in school? Right. You can't force somebody to want to protect their marriage before they get married. You can't force somebody to invest. They have to want to. Otherwise, it's it's twisting your arm. You're not getting anything out of it. If you have to be there, you're not getting anything out of that conversation. But we can say, hey, along with taking English one, two and three and, you know, two levels of math and one science and one language, you have to take at least a semester of advanced communica communication and then advanced communication after that, because you're going to be doing it the rest of your life. So maybe that way, I, like I said, I'm, I'm really against uh, overreach. People like to, the, the minute you get the state or the federal government involved with it, you're asking for the project to fail. Um, we don't have much success at that in our history in the United States. So right. I was really just citing it as kind of, like I said, it, it's a, it's a big example. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I don't even know if they still do it anymore. This was several years ago when I heard this, and, uh, but you know, Louisiana, I don't know. I mean, it's Louisiana. It's a fairly conservative state. And so it doesn't necessarily surprise me that they did that, but, um, um, facilitation of communication, obviously, yeah, is a big, is a big one too. And you mentioned earlier that you've been doing public speaking since 11 and, um, public speaking is probably something that should be offered at the lower levels too, because in any, in any point of life, you're going to be asked to stand in front of a crowd of people, even if it's just maybe three or five people and speak to them. And that is terrifying to a lot of people. It is the number one fear among people. It's, um, death comes behind it. Right. That's, death and spiders. Or two yeah, and three. Right. <laughs> Death is behind public speaking in terms of what people are scared of the most, which is extraordinary. <laughs> but um, all right, so um, so these the young men they don't have very good role models or either no role models in terms of what it means to actually be men and what it means to actually be adult men, I should say, mm -hmm. like mature, emotionally intelligent men. Um, either, like I said, because they're not around or because the men in their house were not great examples of that themselves. Um, and you mentioned earlier that uh, also that a lot of these men do not, are not given chances to really develop who they really are early in life. They're told to go from one thing to another. They're put on a conveyor belt and they hit all the points. And then, then it, they have no sense of personal development, no sense of self at all. So, and you, and on your, on your site is, the seven traits every man should develop mm -hmm. kind of go through those uh, item by item and uh, see what those are about. Oh, do it. Do we have that list in front of me today? <laughs> I, I've well, talked as best this, you can. I was going to say, I've talked on this enough that I, I should probably know this one off the top of my head, but I always like take notes for things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so what, what order do you want to tackle this in? Um, Everywhere it works for you. So there is, 
right? We people want to play fast and loose with the definition of men versus male versus masculinity, right? We we have to separate those out because they all flow into each other, but they're not all the same thing. Okay. My my opinion, male is a biological trait, right? You're born a boy or a girl. That's a very unpopular opinion these days. And if I'm offending somebody, deal with it. It's my opinion. You can have your opinion. But male is a biological trait. You see it all through nature. In every species, there's a male and a female, right? But being born a male doesn't make you a man. It makes you a boy. It makes you biologically male, right? Masculinity is not this big hurrah. I the guys on the internet beating their chest and grunting and be, yeah, super masculine. Look, I, I'm a big dude. Okay. I, I'm six, six foot. And if you guys are listening to this, I've got a big beard and a mohawk and I'm a pretty big guy. That doesn't make me masculine. Let me be really clear about that. Okay. I've, I've deadlifted 600 pounds. That doesn't make me masculine. That's not masculinity. Masculinity is a combination of being a biological male, the chemical makeup in your body, and some traits that usually align pretty close to leadership roles kind of thing. And it's that combination with the restraints of being a mature man, man that makes you masculine. Being recognized as a man by your peers it's a different conversation, right? Being recognized as a man means that society, other men in society have circled around you and ex accepted you are now a man. You own the traits that make you a man. Now, to me, that starts with integrity. Everything starts with integrity. Men have integrity. If they don't, they're not men. It, now, that's Brunt's world. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I'll argue that all day and all night. But integrity is essential to being a man. If you want to be accepted among men as a man, you have to develop integrity in your life. Now, integrity, right, most times explained is doing the right thing no matter who's looking or who's not looking, right? It's doing the right thing when no one else is around. That comes with a cost. I spent an extra week in basic training because of integrity. I got rolled back because I got in the middle of a heated debate between one of my guys because I was a squad leader and my drill sergeant. My drill sergeant was out of line. I was later vindicated by my next drill sergeant when he reviewed the file, what actually happened. But I was put in that situation. It cost me an extra week in basic training. They started me over again. Now, I, that's not a yay me. That's, that's, you know, but that's, there's a cost to acting with integrity. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always easy to be honest. And there are times that it's definitely going to impact you. But that is part of being a man. It's better to die for the truth than to live with a lie. Because that just haunts you the rest of your life. You never escape that falsification. Now, I'm, I'm not talking, you know, little white lies you tell your uh, spouse, you know, of course you look great in that dress, honey, when both of you might've put on a little extra weight, right? But it's her favorite dress and she doesn't look as good in it as she used to, or that little white lie, you 
tell your kids about, you know, oh yeah, no, that that's a beautiful painting. You know, it's like it got two streaks of paint, finger paint on it, and you're like, oh, that's amazing, right? I'm talking about actual moments of honest integrity where it it's gonna be a thing, right? And and that's a, a big concept for some people, but I think it's integral to being a man in the world of men. If you can't be counted on to follow through, if you can't be trustworthy, if you, if people don't believe you, right, you will never be accepted as a man in society is, is part of it. You have to be able to stand up for right, what's right, what you believe, what you say, it's all got to align. So integrity is at the core of everything I believe about masculinity and being a man. Followed closely by discipline, which the majority of us are lacking in spades. I mean, uh, my, my discipline wanes when it comes to ice cream. I'm always a little heavier than I should be because I like sweets. I, I just have a sweet tooth. I've always had a sweet tooth. I've always had a uh, weakness when it comes to that. That's something I'm working on in myself. I'm working on developing that discipline to say no when I should on ice cream or stuff like that. Uh, my dad had the same issue. Both of us. That's, that's the big weakness is probably where I got it. It's sitting on the ice cream, sitting on the couch, eating ice cream, watching movies with my dad. Right. That was always a yay us time. Right. So my brain just goes, Hey, that's a good thing. That's okay. I'm working on the discipline in that section of my life because it's, it's lacking because I need to take care of my health. I have myself that I need to live up to who I meant to be. I have my family that's counting on me. And now I'm trying to reach out and help other men. And by that, I have to try and set an example. I have to live my life with that transparency and be able to say, yes, I'm lacking discipline in this and I'm working on that, but I've developed my discipline in these other areas and I'm a work in progress, right? Integrity. I have to be able to be honest about it, but I got to work on that discipline and you have to discipline yourself because you're not getting anywhere without it. Like discipline is just, it's what gets you to the gym when you don't feel like it, right? It's what makes you show up when you don't feel like it. It's what makes you stay up longer to finish studying for that test or to prep for that presentation at work. Discipline is what keeps you focused on the goal. Discipline is what keeps you in the process of that goal and helps you to go, no, I don't need that. No, I, I shouldn't do that. No, that's not the best choice for me. That all comes down to discipline. And discipline is a hard, hard thing to develop. It takes a lot of work, sometimes a lot of pain, emotionally, physically. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a trainer. <laughs> discipline is something that I'm sure you work on with your clients and it's, it's hard. It's, some, it's something I work on with myself. It's every single day. I mean, I get up um, pretty early because I know I have things that I have to do. And I'm not a morning person. I never have been. And mm -hmm. so getting up is a real grind. Getting up early, especially when it's winter and there's no sun, no warmth. <laughs> God help me. Right. There, there's a lot of people who struggle with uh, seasonal depression. And that is always a... 
a pain point, right? When when you get into that winter, it makes that discipline even weaker because you're already struggling. But you know, even realizing that about yourself, right? Having the discipline to maybe go, this is something I'm doing. I'm not not, not saying that's in your case, but this is something that I struggle with, right? Recognizing that self, um, that's part of discipline because you identify and you recognize, hey, I am prone to eating ice cream when I shouldn't. So part of that discipline is buying it less, making it less available, right? If I have a harder time getting up because I have some seasonal depression, well, part of the discipline is making sure I'm doing everything to combat that, right? Maybe I'm getting some UV lights in my house. Maybe I'm uh, going to bed a little earlier so I can get up a little earlier, right? Whatever you need to combat that, that's part of discipline is just taking the time to actually put in the effort, right? I have to tell myself over and over again, yes, I need to go to the gym. I'm, I'm almost done with my personal training certification through NASM. Uh, I've been training people on the side for years. I thought I should finally just get certified and make it official. But the discipline to sit down and study, right? When I got everything else coming on is like, oh, it's one more thing. And, oh, do I really want this that bad, right? There are struggles with that. So I think integrity and discipline, we're talking about the seven traits of being a man. I think humility lands really high up there which comes across really difficult for me because I come across as a pretty arrogant dude sometimes, but humility has to be high on that list because you have to allow that humility to exist or you just become that blowhard, right? You become that idiot on the internet screaming like, look at me uh, beating your chest. Like I got all the answers. That's why my show is the fallible man. I wanted to be, perfectly clear from the get-go from people's first interactions with me is I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect. I haven't got it all down. I haven't figured it all out. I don't have it all done, but I'm on a journey and I'm inviting people to go on that journey with me. I still have room to grow. I hate these guys who get online and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, we know, everything right we we got it down we're perfect you're a liar there's no integrity there i never wanted to come across that way and it it's hard sometimes to be humble enough to go maybe i'm not the best guy for this right maybe i'm not the best man if i when i talk to people on uh our initial like you know discovery call for coaching i have to be willing if if i'm going to be the man i say i am I have to be willing to say, you know what? I'm not the best coach for you, but I have a friend who does coaching and I'm going to give you his link and his number and you need to talk to him because I care about what you're doing. I care about who you are and I'm not the best fix for you. Right. Uh, I always hate to put any kind of numbers around that, but that's money walking out of my pocket. If I turn away somebody who wants to work with me as a coach, that, that's money I'm not making. I'm sending to my friend because if I say I care about you guys and then don't have the humility to go, I'm not the best person for this, then I'm a liar. 
and no one will listen to me anymore. No one will believe me anymore, but you have to suck it up, right? It's, we, we got that ego thing kicking there. There's a point where we go, I'm, I, I like my, like, I'm my biggest fan. I, I've never had a problem with self-esteem. I'm my biggest cheerleader, like irritatingly. So I think I'm pretty great, but there's that time you got to suck it up and go, yeah, yeah. There's someone better at this than me, or there's someone better for this than me. Uh, I have a speaking event coming up or not a speaking event, a uh, conference. We do a live and virtual men's conference that's coming up in February and I'm not speaking. This is our second event. I'm not speaking. Why? Because I brought in the best people I could find to address the topics. And some of them are much better at speaking than I am. It could have been really easy for me to go, Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll speak. I was going to speak. I actually replaced myself as the eighth speaker because I found someone who was better suited for it. As far as I'm concerned, I'll go MC and that's fine. I'm perfectly happy sitting in the background because I want my goal is to help people. My goal is to encourage and uh, equip people. And we're talking about purpose at this event. And so I found people I believe are better than me to come in and talk about it. It's, it's really easy to go, well, I should speak because I got all, no, I'm, I'm good being the event coordinator. You have to learn to have some humility. It's everybody wants a stage, like everybody. I actually direct several other events and I, I never have a shortage of people who want to get on the microphone and talk. <laughs> that is not a hard placement to get. Everybody thinks they have something to say. You have to take a breath and go, am I the right person to say this? Am I the most effective person to deliver a message, right? You have to do that in your life. Am I the best person for this? Or should I suck it up and go, you know what? I can learn from this person, right? When you're on the job, you have to look at it and go, oh, Joe got, Joe got that promotion. Instead of going kicking yourself going, well, maybe Joe deserved the promotion more than I did. Maybe he didn't, but what can I learn from him, right? I have to suck that up and, and set my ego aside. And that's a big part of having to have the humility is you got to set your ego aside. You, you can't get caught in that ego because it just destroys any chance you have a logical process. So I think humility, I, I think I actually have a shirt with all three of those on it. Um, but those, those are very core pillars of being a man to me is you have to develop that discipline, that integrity, the humility, and then you have to get into, uh, ownership. To me, that's, you have to get into ownership. Are you, are you familiar, familiar with Jocko Willink? Very familiar. I have his book right here, right? I I've read most of them. And years ago, one of his first books was extreme ownership. Right. And I already had a lot of the core beliefs from that book. But reading this, someone putting it together, actually, in, in a logical sense, it was like, yes, like I, I, I read that book in my own little happy dance because like somebody put that together in a better format than I could have ever explained it. Because I, I believe that that is at a core of being a man. You have to take ownership of who you are. Joe got that promotion. OK, that's on you. What did Joe do that you didn't? Did he work harder? Did he study harder? Did he make the right connections? Did he do a better job? Did he pay more attention to detail? What did you not do that he did? 
what did you not, did you not put in the effort? Did you not work as hard? Did he just outwork you? What could you have done to change that in the way you live your life? And I think ownership is critical for that. And the thing is too, is like, if Joe was honest about, if he was honest and he got it in an honest way, his promotion in an honest way, he will probably share with you what he did to get right. to where he got. You know, if he, if he did it in a way that he's honest and he's proud of, and that is not in a, you know, in a surreptitious sort of way, you know, he's got, he, he will feel nothing to hide. And so he will probably tell you exactly what I, I, I can keep going on this all day. So just <laughs> tell me where you want me to stop or, uh, well, no, I think, no, I think those, uh, those three, um, those three traits alone are probably powerful on the, on their own. Um, now I, I think in, um, in recent years, it seems like from my own observations, I'm all over social media and stuff like that. In recent years, there has been an uptick, I think, in, people who do see this need and want to um, kind of address the idea, especially, you know, in the, I don't know how many years it was since we've had these uh, terms like toxic masculinity being floated around, uh -huh. maybe as a kind of like a, a, um, a reaction to that, we've seen a kind of an increase of these, um, of individuals who want to kind of elevate the status and the, of men and, how men are actually perceived in this in this society. So you mentioned Jocko Willink. Mm -hmm. you know, he's one. And I think Navy SEALs themselves have enjoyed a big bonanza of celebration, probably for that very same reason, because it's like the ultimate definition of manhood, you know, going through SEAL training, becoming a SEAL, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And Jocko Willink, you know, you know, very much a man in every sense, you know, he's got a very deep voice. He's very straightforward. You know, if you follow him on social media, he's got these stuff that he posts in black and white photos about go time, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, you also see like people like Jordan Peterson on the rise in prominence. And those, those are, I think, are more of the reasonable kind of reactions to the reasonable, intelligent reactions to things like ownership and integrity mm -hmm. and, uh, masculinity and, and things like that. But then on the other hand, you see kind of more not so healthy examples kind of pop up as well as you kind of touched on that yourself with some of these Instagram videos that you see. And I've met people like that in person, who act, guys that act like that in person. Um, like, and I'm talking really more about maybe guys like Andrew Tate. Um, now I'm not gonna go into whether I like him or dislike him, that's not the point, but he is very much an I think an extreme um, reaction to that. And, you know, he's a very polarizing figure. Mm -hmm. And so what do you really make of that? Where you see kind of like the, um, the rise of the examples of masculinity that kind of range from the ones that are bright and noble and articulate and very intelligent to the ones that are just kind of way out into left field and just kind of appeal to a, a, a very kind of um, almost like an eccentric portion of the population, in my estimation. What do you think of that? I see capitalism and opportunism. Um, <laughs> right. I, I actually did a YouTube video on one of my channels at one point, and I won't call out the guy, but there, there's a he, dude with a pretty decent following, and he did this like crazy 
this is how to be a man kind of video. I'm like on the cover of it. He's biting into a chunk of raw meat. And this is not the guy's first YouTube channel. Like if you actually start digging into him, he's been in like six or seven different niches and it always comes back to the products he sells. Like his products are the solution to these six different niches he's been in that are there are totally different on, right? This one's a manhead right now because that's the hot topic. This one's in personal care, right? Like the guy's all over the place because he just wants to sell his products. And there's nothing wrong. Don't now don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a capitalist at heart. I love capitalism because it's what built the world the way it is. And for all his faults, while it may not be perfect, we are a long ways from where we could have been without capitalism. I have no problem with people wanting to sell their goods, but when something flashes up, right? Um, I'm 43 years old. When something flashes up, there's always the people who get into it for legitimate purposes, right? They're in it because they care. They believe in it. They're, they're the people who honestly just want to make the world a better place are, you know, they, they're passionate about that particular subject or topic. Then you have the people who are the zealots who go to an extreme swing, right? We live on this crazy pendulum of, right? The best examples, the right, the far right and the far left right? They use that term in politics all the time. We live in a, in a world of extremes. We, there's very little middle ground. And so you get a flash up and you get those zealots over here who are just like rah, 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 on whatever it is. And they're hardcore and they're a little bit insane and they're motivated by the concept, but their own ideology bleeds into that. And they adapt that as part of their ideology, right? They're, there's something appealed to them about that topic, about that particular issue, but their own ideology gets transferred into that. And you see that in the far right, you see that in the far left. And that's, that, that's always unhealthy. There, there is never a great health in going to an extreme on something, right? Because it gets corrupted, it gets polluted. Then you have the people who have the opposite reaction and go to the farther, far end of the spectrum are like, no, this is all evil. This is all bad, right? I love the doomsdayers who's like, this is a sign of the ends of time. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I really doubt that, you know, ma ma toxic masculinity is, and that's on the extreme end over here, on the other end of that, is the end of time, right? That's not going to end the world. But you always get that swing, right? So you get the guys who are just jumping in opportunities opportunists who are like, Hey, this is popular right now and we want recognition and we want notoriety and this is a hot topic. So we're jumping in right here. And then you have the guys who actually truly, this is something we're passionate about. This is something we believe in. Um, I truly believe that men taking ownership of their lives and trying to become the best version of themselves is the most impactful and an effective way that we can make the world a better place. I do. Right. If I take, I mean, Michael Jackson, I, I, yes, I'll quote Michael Jackson, right. Said, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. He nailed it. That's what I can control. Right. So if I'm working on being the best version of me, well, the best version of me is healthier. He's a good husband. He is attentive to his relationship. He's a good father who dedicates time to loving and raising his children the right way 
He's dedicated to his community, trying to uh, make that a better place, right? Through my personal development of myself, I'm treating people better in my community, my neighbors, my friends, my church, right? If I'm focusing on the best version of myself, the ripples from that is an impacted world. If every man is focusing on making themselves the best version of themselves, the ripples of that is a better world overall. If you look at the statistics, crime statistics behind fatherless homes, having a healthy father in every home with a child would literally empty the prison population. The prison population, people would stop going to jail. Because if you look at the statistics behind it, the statistics support that, right? So you get these flash groups, and, and I mean, Jocko Willink is an exception. At a, It's like David Goggins and Jocko Willink and some of those guys, right? They are, I love them to death. They inspire me. I had the utmost respect for Jocko Willink. He wrote, do you know he wrote a children's series? I think I did hear that too. Yeah, he wrote books for, uh, yeah, for kids because he wanted yeah. to. They're, they're extraordinary. They're extraordinary. We sat down as a family and read them with my daughter, uh, with both my daughters. We sat down. That was family time together, was sitting down. And we read through all of his children's books together because they are exceptional. They're exactly, they should be required reading for young people, right? The fact that he can be Jocko the Navy SEAL and Jocko the corporate instructor, because that's, that's their actual business, is corporate leadership and stuff like that, right? But he can also be Jocko the father and go, hey, I can write about doing this and this will help more kids. This will help build a better world, right? It's a very masculine individual. I have a great deal of respect for Jordan Peterson. The man is a high intellect. He's, I don't agree with him on probably everything, but I agree with him on a lot of things. And he's highly intellectual and his motivation is, I want to make the world a better place. I want to touch lives, right? Um, and then you get those radicals. And, you know, I, I don't know enough about Andrew Tate. I've listened to him talk, but you're always going to get those really polarizing people who know how to push buttons, who know how to get people focused like, oh my goodness. And, and I, I love watching the controversy around Andrew Tate. It cracks me up. It's like, why are you stuck on this? It, it's this simple. If you don't like the guy, don't listen to him. If you don't agree with him, don't stop listen. Giving your, you, know, you stop giving someone their attention, your attention, then they right? just kind of fade. You know? All the haters, uh, Grant Cardone said it best, you know, haters are your best, your, your best people right there. Because they're the ones who they may not agree with you, but yet you're on their lips and they're still talking to you about you. Right. There's no bad press really. Um, so, you know, that's just the people who are hating on Andrew Tate like him or not. They're just, they're just fanning the flame. They're just making him brighter and drawing more attention to him. But you're always going to have those people who pop up. Right. And some of them are really great. Some are questionable. And it's always going to come back to motivation, which is not something we can call out. You know, Andrew Tate may be devoutly believing everything he's saying. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And so he may think he's doing the very best he can to impact the world the way he knows how to do it. Right. I can't judge his motivation. 
it, it always comes back to what you can do, but you're always going to have this, right? We can talk about masculinity that way. You can get to the feminist movement and see the extremes in every category. You can get into politics. You see the same people, right? You got the really polarizing figures in politics. You got people who are on one extreme or the other. Then you have people who, honest to God, just want to make a difference and want to affect the world in a better way. Unfortunately, we just get a really toxic mix sometimes. I think, uh, I think most people probably fall in that uh, kind of center category of what you're speaking of. I think, you know, the extreme ends on, on either side, they, they tend to be the loudest mm-hmm. and the most aggressive and, and, you know, the most boisterous. So they get the most attention. So you hate the skewed perception that everyone either falls into one camp or another. Right. Um, for my own bit, and you can make it this what you will. So again, I think this uh, kind of uh, growth industry, almost like if you want to call it like a masculinity industry that has kind of born, uh-huh. has popped up in the last couple of years, um, it's probably been a reaction more or less to the Me Too movement that started, I don't know when it started. But my thoughts on the Me Too movement was like, okay, you know, no, I don't agree with absolutely everything they said. A lot of the stuff kind of repels me about what's been said, but I don't think it's completely baseless to where this movement kind of generated from. Because I have heard stories in my own in my own personal life. I've heard stories coming from young women mm-hmm. who, you know, when they were teenagers and they're around grown men and kind of the way they acted towards them and even kind of like felt them up. You know, and they're like 16 years old and they're getting groped by a grown man. You know, I had, that has to make me think this is not just coming out of nowhere. There is something, there is something legitimate behind this. Now, you know, you can't obviously take one bad experience and try to paint all, all grown men as one thing or another. Um, but then, you know, and as far as Andrew Tate or anyone like him is concerned, um, yeah, I mean, you can argue that maybe some of the things he just says does make some sense, but most of it seems, again, pretty um, outlandish and maybe deliberately so. And I think that because I've heard uh, guys in my own life say, you know, they started listening to Andrew Tate and he's like, well, I, they, they kind of preface it by saying, I don't agree with everything he's saying, but <laughs> this, you know, I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's be fair. Let's be fair about this. Let's say, say if you have a daughter. And she brings home an Andrew Tate who talks to her the way you heard Andrew Tate talk about women, you know, calling her, you know, a bitch or whatever like this. It's like, would that make you happy? Would that make you proud? Or would that make you want to snap his neck? You know, it's, that's kind of where I fall. I don't know where, I don't know where you, what, what your opinion is on that, but that's kind of where I fall. See, there, there's a whole world to unpack in there. Um, the, the Me Too movement, right? The predecessor that was a predecessor to the whole toxic masculinity movement is the problem, the very problem with uh, viral behavior. Mm-hmm. Like as, as a populace, as a society, this is the amplification of the negativity of viral behavior because I will be the first one. So as a youth minister, I worked with a lot of what people would call fringe kids. Um, I had kid, I had one young man who lived on the streets and was on his own at 16 uh, he crashed in my house from time to time. I finally had to separate him from the group because he started selling drugs to uh, just just to survive. And I just couldn't have him around the other kids if he was going to do that. It wasn't that I didn't love him. It just, you know, right. I had a lot of French kids. I had two girls who, I mean, their mom was basically a crack whore. 
the only time I knew they ate for sure, like ate healthy food for sure was when I took them to the church because we fed them every Wednesday night. And then I would generally buy them breakfast on Sundays when I was picking up for church. And it's the only time I knew they ate real food. So I worked with a lot of fringe kids for a long time. But when you start playing in the world, right, and you realize that the world is not all pretty. The problem is you get into this stuff does happen. But when it becomes a viral movement, like I said, it's that pitch to the, to the extreme, right? We've had several, we had several cases during the Me Too movement where, I mean, lives were ruined. I remember one particular uh, division one athlete, football player, NFL, he was going to be an NFL draft uh, pick, promising young man, good grade point average. He was accused of raping a girl at a party, right? Long story short, he was completely venerated. The woman actually admitted that she had made up the whole thing um, after they started digging into her story because there were enough cameras on campus to prove that it was a falsification, right? But what it came down to was attention. She got positive attention, right? It was, it became a viral movement and we saw more and more of that. Now, there are a lot of women I would never discount this because I've worked with those fringe kids. I've worked with a lot of women who have been assaulted over the years as a youth minister, as a minister. It happens. It's horrible. There's no excuse for it. I have a very unchristian response to what should happen to men who do this to people. <laughs> there's, there's no excuse. As, as far as like part of my stance on being a man is there is no excuse never an acceptable time for men to prey on people who are weaker than them ever committing crimes against people who are weaker than you, children, women who can't protect themselves, older people who can't protect themselves. Right. I zero tolerance. Like I, I, I do not have a, a very good Christian opinion of what should happen to those people. I think the world would be better off without them. It's the short version. Right. But when something happens and we start getting the viral behavior, then we start getting people going, oh, look, if he does, if they, they got attention, they got attention. And there are a lot of people out there desperate for attention. And that might be mommy issues, daddy issues. I wasn't loved enough, whatever, pick your issue. But there are a lot of people who are starved for attention. And, and we breed this in society. Social media is a platform for, oh my God, look at me, I'm amazing. Yay. Look at how good I am. I remember when MySpace came out and my immediate response. The first time I saw MySpace was yes, personal websites devoted to how amazing I am. This is what we all need, right? This is going to make the world. Like I, I just couldn't believe that people were actually doing this whole MySpace thing because it was MySpace was a shrine to look how good I am. And it's just gotten worse from there, right? We have multiple platforms now to, that are shrines to look at me, look at me. Um, I, for someone who makes a living, living in the social media world, I have a very low opinion of social media. I hate this, this ironic that I actually have to spend so much time on it, but viral behavior never ends well, right? That's, I mean, that's how we get stampedes out of stadiums where people get killed because they get trampled. It's the same thing that happened in the me too movement. As it became more viral, more public women who actually had been assaulted we're no longer being believed or heard or listened to because first 
everybody's guilty automatically the minute they accuse them. Then there were enough cases where it was proved that this was all bunk that now everybody is doubting, right? It ended up hurting women who had actually been assaulted. It, it totally backfired because of this viral behavior because like, oh, look, attention, 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 right? And I think you're right. The toxic masculinity spewed out of there because we go from that extreme. And once we start on that extreme roller coaster, that's what we want to do. We go to toxic masculinity, right? All men are bad. If you look at toxic masculinity at, at its core, what people talk about with toxic masculinity, the assumption is that the entirety of half the population in the world is based on the very worst behaviors of a very small amount of people, right? We, we don't do that anywhere else, right? All lions are not bad because one lion ate some idiot who wandered onto the preserve. We don't go, oh, lions are evil because that one ate somebody. It's a line. It does that, right? It guy got in the wrong spot, but one guy is a horrible, despicable, doesn't does. I, I can't say that on the air. <laughs> doesn't have the right to breathe as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Piece of crap of a human being. Like the world is better off without them. Well, this is now the measure of all men based on the concept of toxic masculinity. And this is the spinoff of me too. Oh, they're all bad. Believe all women. Oh, well, we can't believe all women. So it must be men are bad. That's, that's it. All men are bad, right? We can't, this got diffused. Believe all women. Cause that was the overall goal. Believe all women got diffused by all of the viral behavior of, Oh, look at the attention I get. So since that didn't play out, we have to go to the other blame game of all men are bad. All men are rapists. I, I can't believe I actually hear phrases all the time on social media. It's like, you don't know how scared I am to walk down the street every night on the way to my apartment from my job two blocks away. It's terrifying. I wander home every night wondering if I'm going to be attacked and raped that night. Really? What city do you live in? Because I've lived in a lot of places. And that's really just not, uh, the statistics don't back that out. It's not as common. Yes. Not all rapes are, in fact, the majority of rapes are not reported. The more, majority of assaults are not reported. What they also don't want to report is men are raped almost as often as women are. They don't talk about that. That doesn't fit the narrative, right? So the problem with viral behavioral is it becomes to an ex- viral behavior is it comes to an extreme. It always goes to those extreme ends, far left, far right, whatever you want to call it. We can't ever stay in a centric space where we focus on facts and reality and equality. We don't have to, I don't believe this whole patriarchy, it's, it's all in the patriarchy. Okay, you're right. Men have been in charge of the majority of the history of the earth. Hmm, okay, whatever. Does a matriarchy make that better? Not necessarily. But why do we have to oppress one or the other? Why do, for women to be believed and women to be valued, men have to be oppressed? Why do some people feel like they have to oppress women for men to have value and to have status, right? Can't we all be valuable? Can't we all appreciate each other? Can't we respect each other? You can't say you're against rape and sexual assault and then ignore the fact that men are assaulted almost as often as women are not quite, but statistically less. I've worked with people who work in this industry 
uh, I've worked with a group called Saving Innocence, right? And they, they handle child sex trafficking and that's what they work to stop. And it's not as often as it's more often girls than boys, but boys are sex trafficked every day. Men are sexually assaulted every day. I've worked with several trauma counselors on the podcast. Men are assaulted every day. Men don't talk about it because they're, they're afraid to, they're afraid that may might make us look weak. I see masculine to talk. About. Right. I, I worked with a eight guy. He works with HR. Com- now he works with human resources for different companies doing sexual assault training. He was sexually assaulted by his boss. Another man sexually assaulted him at work. And when he reported it, he was told not to report it, that it would end his career, that he should keep his mouth shut, that it really happened. Or did he invite it? Like all the things you hear women talk about, right? He went through the same ordeal as a high level executive. You can't say, I'm not okay with this kind of treatment. We can't do this to women. We, well, you have to believe men too, then you're either against rape or you're not against rape. It's that simple, right? It shouldn't be a polarizing topic. We can either treat each other like human beings or we, we can't, there's no gray area there. You're a person with value or you're not. So I think the, um, the Me Too movement, but I will say like early on, I think it's in its most uh, nascent uh, stage, when they first started to pick up steam, like it made a fair amount of sense to me too. It's like, cause they were going after certain individuals. They were targeting certain individuals for certain individual bad behavior. So they were pretty mm-hmm. high profile, like Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby yep. and stuff and stuff like that. Um, and so you had a line of people saying one after the other, this person did this, this person did that. Now, if it's, you know, one person or two person, you have to say, okay, well, it's kind of, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt that still, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe. But when let's, you got- Let's investigate, you, right? Let's find right, out. Right, you have to, let's, right. You have 10, 12, 20 people coming forward saying the same thing uniformly. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. we got a pretty established pattern here. This person is not a good soul. This person does prey on innocent people, people in a position of lesser power. These are powerful men. Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, these people control mm-hmm. careers, control lives. So they definitely have a they definitely have a way to impact your life if you refuse them, if you make them upset. Right. Um, but then they kind of spiraled out and my and then it kind of spiraled out into not targeting individuals for bad behavior, but to targeting groups. Like mm-hmm. you said earlier. So now we're casting a wide net. It's like, because Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby acted poorly, and that must mean that I also act poorly, you know, because I'm a man. Um, And that's, I think, that's when it lost me. I think that's when it lost a lot of people. Exactly. So we need a new villain. And Mm -hmm. toxic masculinity was born, right? We, we We lost on this, so now we need a new bad guy. We need someone else to blame. And there wasn't enough people as it spiraled out of control that were being believed anymore. So we can't continue to target the the movement became corrupted, right? It's that extremism. The movie, it started with, and I mean, guys like Harvey Weinstein and those guys, I'm I'm sorry. I hope they rot in prison forever. Uh, Death is too easy when you have, I, I have such a low tolerance for abuse of power. Like I said, for me, it's a, tenant about being a man is just, you don't prey on people weaker than you. It got me into trouble, trouble in the military. That's why I did an extra week in boot camp. It was an abuse of power. 
And I responded because I wasn't going to allow it to happen. Right. But it got corrupted. Right. It started with, hey, we have a legitimate couple of guys that we need to get out of this industry that are just making this horrible, that are abusing people, that are taking advantage of people, that are uh, extorting people. Right. To all men are crazy rapists. Right. And I mean, everybody's coming forward. I got raped. I got raped. I got assaulted. And this wide net. But by the time we reached that wide net, the people who actually started this, the people who actually were being faced with really horrible situations, they're, they're out of the picture now. They're not the focal point because it's been adopted by viral behavior and it spreads out. And now it's men are abusing us down with the patriarchy. All men are sexual predators, but that lost ground. So then we had to come up with a new slang term, right? A new catchphrase. You watch the media does this with everything, right? A, a certain phrase that they're using that triggers people will burn out and lose impact. And so they come up with a new, new hot term, right? I think that's where masculinity, toxic masculinity really spurred from was this group still wants all men to be bad and us believe women and so we came up with a new way to pack, package that with toxic masculinity, right? And as you said, there's been this uptick in men fighting back about that, going, this is not this is not how the world looks. Don't lump me in with him. Like I said, I got nine nieces. I got two daughters. I got a sister, multiple sister-in-laws. Women have been one of the biggest influences in my life. I've been surrounded by it my whole life. I grew up in a house full of women. I'm still in a house full of women. Um, <laughs> And, you know, to say that I'm just like that rapist in prison, that at any second I could snap and go attack a woman. That's the most, that, that's insane. We wouldn't level those kind of, we wouldn't level that kind of accusation against any other group. But we, we're ready to judge all men by that. That doesn't make sense, right? If, if you start following the logic of things, it's all about, we need a news story, right? Headlines are sensationalized. We got to sell papers. We got to sell advertising. We got to keep you focused on this while real problems go ignored, right? The education system is getting bad, man. You, you look at the education system, right? What they're teaching in schools, they're lowering the bar every single day. I was just talking with a teacher, a friend of mine this morning, and he's just abhorrently, he's been teaching for almost an entire career now. And he is just horrified at they, they want to bring up the minimum, like minimum grade to 50%. And that's where you start. And they score it from there in the school system. He's teaching in the minimum grade is 50%, not zero. So that way you can miss more and still pass the test. It's like, how is that helping this? This is a problem. We're making people dumber. We're teaching them less while we're sensationalizing everything over here. So you're paying attention to that. And it's, it's not making our country better. It's not making stronger people. It's not making stronger men. I, a lot of the things I, I teach, I have a lot of female listeners for my show actually, um, because a lot of the things I teach are general personal development. It, it's all about taking hold of your life and living as the person you can be becoming the person you can be. 
because that applies to everybody. I just focus on men because I know better than to say, try and say, Hey ladies, you should do this because I don't want to be mansplaining things. Right. Uh, cause then I become enemy number one and my show's going to get taken down. Right. I, I become the next Andrew Tate because now I'm mansplaining to women, how they should take care of their lives and make their lives better. Uh, and I become a flashpoint and, you know, Tate, right. Man, you should do this. Well, that's okay. A woman can tell us what we're supposed to do, but we can't tell them. But you know, the problem with guys like Andrew Tate is unfortunately they are so incredibly polarizing. They have a life limit lifespan. There will be a point where he just fizzles out of the limelight and it will be because somebody reacts in an extreme way to him. And for his own safety, he has to back off. Right. Uh, he's already getting death threats all the time. Uh, Jordan Peterson gets death threats all the time. I don't think anyone's stupid enough to send death threats to Jago Willink, but hey, you know, there there are low <laughs> intelligent people out there. Uh, Tim Kennedy, I remember watching an interview with Tim Kennedy. He's one of the most wanted men in the world by other countries and other governments. And they're like, don't you, we, we heard the government was willing to put you into protective service. Why, why don't, do you, you know, why, why, why don't you accept that? He was like, my home address is blah, blah, blah. And live on air, he gave out his home address. He's like, you want a piece of me? Come get some. Right. Because most people are all talk and no go. Very few people are brave enough to come into the United States and go after a man like Tim Kennedy or Jocko Willink. But you're going to have some idiot on the street who is like, hey, you know, that guy, right? That, that It always comes down to the dumb factor. People who actually have some kind of edu education or intelligence level don't do those rash things generally, right? It's, it's that rash, knee-jerk, emotional reaction. I'm, I'm not a huge, like, I'm not full-blown into stoicism, but there's a lot of good points to stoicism men should be able to control their emotions because not controlling your emotions is how you end up in jail for killing your wife. Cause you come, came home and she was cheating on you. Right. Instead of ending up divorced and whatever you end up in prison because you snapped and you know, that situation, right. It's those emotional flare ups. Those are the people who get themselves in trouble. Like the guy, there was some dude who uh, threw a pie at Bill Gates and, you know, I, I have my opinions about Gates, but I also have worked for Microsoft. I know the kind of security that dude rolls around with, and they're all former special forces guys. You know, it, it, it was funny in the newsreel, but it's like, you were dumb to try and come anywhere near that man. Because those are a bunch of ex-commandos that are heavily armed, walking on all sides of him. Right? It's that emotional reaction to things. Sorry, I, I tangented. No, no, that's okay. So, that's okay. so um, I, I, I'm going to start to dial things down here now, but I do have one one kind of last thing I want to ask you, maybe one or two things. So what, can we, so what can we really do on a micro level to really kind of reverse this trend? Um, of, you know, you said at the top of the broadcast here, it's like, you know, you hear about the stories of young women who complain a lot about how their, their boyfriends are just, they're just not very, they're not really put together emotionally, you know, to really be in a 
in a relationship. And, you know, I'm not the best in relationships myself, so I can easily identify with that. that it's a shortcoming. It's a, sh it's a, it's a skill you develop over time. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, so how do we, what do we do to really, um, kind of uh, address that? We can't do anything really about the fact that there's no dads in the homes as, as they should be, but there's no dads in the homes that act in a way that are healthy for the development of a young man. So when he goes out into the world and he starts interacting with women, mm -hmm. giving them the things that they, they do need to actually survive a relationship and actually having the core values and to be a man of actual value. What do we really, what do we really do about that? Um, and, that's, and I guess the second part of that question is, is like, you've mentioned your family is a big part of your uh, driving force behind what you do. You, you're a married man, you have two daughters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the people in your corner the most are, are women. So I guess one, again, how do we address the, uh, the lack of, of, of great representational masculinity in a home for a young man? And how have the women in your life really helped you in this mission? So the first, the first part of the question is, is two-step approach, okay? There are, right, roughly, what, 8 billion people in the world, something like that. It's, I think, the current count, somewhere around roughly, I know it's not a totally equal split, roughly half of those are men, okay? So the first part of that question is all the men as far as I'm concerned, every man has a responsibility to live his life as an example for young people. We're all responsible for that next generation. We're all responsible for helping them grow. Every teacher, every coach, every scout leader, every trainer, every friend, every uncle, every we're all responsible. Whether you have a child or not is irrelevant. As a man, part of your responsibility is to live as an example and to be willing to mentor and be a role model and be approachable by those young people. They may not have the dad at home. They've got a school teacher. They've got local police officers and firemen. They've got coaches, right? They've got youth ministers. They've, there are men in their world. So as a man, every man has the responsibility to step up and be that man. You may not know they're watching. They are. Little eyes are always watching you to see how to live because children will seek a role model, period. You may not know you're it. Children will seek a role model. So assume there is some little eyes watching you right now to see what they should do. Live with that in your brain. It will start, start changing the way you live. So that's the first part of that question. The second part you nailed with that first comment of micro. We got to stop making personal development hard, right? I'm a huge, huge proponent of incremental growth. Incremental growth is how true change and growth happen, right? You work with people in the gym. Our clients don't see the same things we do, right? I've been, I've, I've sat there and trained people and I've had a client be like, I'm so frustrated. My bench press hasn't gone up. I was like, yeah, but you're stronger. Well, well, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. You just did those five sets with less rest time than you did last week. That last rep wasn't as hard, right? That's incremental growth. Most people go into that situation. They're like, oh, I'm not adding another plate. I'm not adding another set of weight to the bar. 
yeah, but you're doing it faster. You have better conditioning. You're not breathing as hard. You didn't struggle as hard, right? We see that as coaches in the gym. Your life is the same way. We have to approach it the same way. So stop making it hard. As young men, right, we can seek out inspiration. We have guys like the Jocko Willings, right? We got guys like the Dave. It's a very public world at this point. You can't not find a role model or a mentor. So start finding somebody who inspires you. Start finding somebody whose life you look at and go, you know, I, I think I can do that. I want to do that. That, that. that speaks to me. That speaks to who I am. I'm actually trying to do a better job of stepping out just as a normal example. I, I got to uh, be a part of a fundraiser for our music department here in my town the other night. And I, it's my first time I've been out in the community. I've been in this here for 16 years. I've been in business for two and a half years, but I have a friend who's like, okay, bro, we talked about this. Here's your opportunity to get out there. And it, it took a little push because I'm so, I, I have some social anxiety in crowds. Um, so it, it took a little push. He's like, I got these tickets. You're coming, right? It's like, Yes. It wasn't enough for me to donate a set of tickets to my conference or a couple of things for the giveaways or the auctions. I needed to be there. Right. It's, and, and that's growth for me. I need to do that. Right. You can look at things and go, there's something about Jocko that I recognize. There, there's something I go, I want that. Right. I see that that's better than where I'm at right now, but we've got to stop thinking that it's hard. We have to take away that mystique. We have to tell people, you know, it, you can be better. You absolutely can. You can have the life. It doesn't matter if you have a bum dad or no dad. There are other men that you can look at and go, I like what I see. I, I think that's what I want, right? We have to empower young people to believe that they can change and that they aren't trapped by their situation. That growth is not some mysterious, scary thing that making their life what they want. It's not some scary, mysterious strain. It's one smart decision after another with a whole bunch of failures in the middle. And that's okay. We, we have to stop making that scary. We got to stop making it seem weird. Failure is a huge part of life, but you only fail if you're trying. So it's a really good measure, right? You can't fail if you're not trying. So if we start making it easier to accept that change is not complicated, change is not scary, it's not simple, or it's not, yeah, not complicated, failure is normal, and I can, I can do this. I have the ability to change my life. You can look up and go, that's where I want to go next. That's who I want to be next, right? We, we have to empower young people to believe again. That, you know, when I grew up, right, we'd have those days and they'd be like, well, what do you want to be? And kids, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer, right? YouTuber has actually outpaced astronaut, by the way. I want to be a YouTuber has actually passed uh, that mark in, in those days, right? We got to encourage kids to dream again and believe that they can. Where they're from doesn't matter. Who their parents were, it impacts you but it doesn't limit you, right? We have to get kids to have hope and believe that there's more and that they can do it. 
And that's where, that's where we start to actually get real change for that next generation. That's how we impact those households without that father figure. We step up and we live that life. We make ourselves better and we live a life where we are a role model to somebody, whether we know it or not. But then we also breed into them or breathe into them hope. When that kid stops you and ask about uh, one of the coolest things I saw, there was some kid eyeing the car, some video clip on Instagram. This young boy was looking at this beautiful exotic sports car and the guy started walking towards the car and the dad scooped him up and he was like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's fine. He opened up the car and let the kids sit in the car with his dad and took pictures with their phone. And we need more of that in the world. We need more men going, you kidding? You're going to be bigger than me. You're going to do this better than me. Well, well, no, there's no, no, there's no, well, there's no, but it's, you can, you're not limited. You're not stopped. There's nothing in your way. You can be what you want to be. You can live the life you want to live. We have to breathe that hope back into people. And, uh, as far as the, uh, yeah, just the, the last one, as far as the, uh, the women in your life and how they've contributed to this, this, uh, this very old mission. Of yours. <laughs> um, let's, let's get, let's give them a shout out here. Let's talk them up a little bit here. Cause they, I know, I know for a fact that, you know, you can't embark on stuff that you're doing right here. If you don't have any oh. support, you, you, I mean, cause you, you go out there and you're fighting, you're fighting a war out there. You can't come home and then fight a war at home. So if you're, yeah. If you don't have a sense of stability and core, there's just no way stuff like this is happening. I I am surrounded. I've been married for 21 years to my beautiful wife, Sarah, who is always in my corner. She always has my back. She is the co-owner of our business. My wife owns 50% share in our business. And she actually does all the engineering on my podcast. When I'm recording a podcast, my wife is in the background doing all the engineering uh, for my live streams as well. She actually is running the technical side of my upcoming conference um, while being a bookkeeper, a stay-at-home mom, and homeschooling my children. Uh, she is she is amazing, and I would not be me without her. Uh, Sarah and I, our story, our story is the foundation of everything for me. My mom also lives with us. Uh, my father passed yet a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And they lived with us last year of his life. And so my mom lives in our home and uh, helps my wife with the kids and helps with homeschooling and taking care of stuff. And my mom has always been my biggest believer. Um, She's always, my parents were so amazing. I was so very blessed to have amazing parents who taught us to believe in ourselves, taught us that we could do what we wanted, that encouraged us to become our best selves and believed in us and supported us in it. So I have these amazing women around my life. Um, my daughters inspire me every single day. I love being a dad. I look at their eyes. My, my oldest likes to watch my live stream on Mondays because I live stream on Monday nights and she loves to watch my live stream. She's been frustrated because her basketball practice is during my live stream on Monday night. Um, she's actually engineered for my live stream before because my wife had me gone. Uh, at 11 years old, she's, she's coming up. And then my eight year old, uh, is amazing, right? My kids just every day I look at them and everything is worthwhile. My wife was with me 
for we we started as friends. We built our entire relationship long distance. We never lived in the same state before we got married. And we old school, like we didn't have cell phones, <laughs> you know, calling cards, long times on nights on pay phones, her writing, me writing every now and then. Um, we started as friends and eventually I got smart enough to realize I'd be stupid if I let this woman get away, that she was the one I needed to spend my life with, that she's always got my back. And every day I'm, I'm exhausted. I, I won't lie right now. I've got a lot going on. Um, I've said it several times. We're getting ready. I have a live and virtual conference coming up at the beginning of February. It's my event. And with that, on top of my regular production schedule and a uh, program, a uh, coaching program, I'm in myself with a business coach. I'm exhausted all the time. Dude, I, in, uh, there's just no end to being tired at this point. And they're the ones who make this possible because they've always got my back. They believe in me. They believe in what we're doing and they support me. Uh, there, there's definitely some sacrifice. I've missed some, missing my kids games because I needed to work on something. Um, my wife and I don't get a lot of time to go out a lot of times because I'm in here in my studio working and working and working, uh, you know, starting a business takes, it's, it's a time suck. You spend, you work harder than someone who works for 40 hours a week for another company. And I don't mind the trade off cause I'd rather work for myself, but you, I, I work 60, 70 hours a week sometimes, uh, sometimes more than that. And you're right. You can't do that without some kind of support system. My family is everything to me. It's I, I get tired and I look at my kids sitting on the couch, cuddled up with my wife or something. And it's just like, yep, I can keep doing this. I, I can go a little more. I can, I can keep going a little longer. And I look at my kids and go, yep, I need to go to the gym. Daddy's got to eat better, care <laughs> himself a little better. Right. right. Um, because I want to be around. I, we waited till I was 30 before my first daughter was born. Um, no, I was 33. Sarah was 30. And, you know, I want to be around for grandkids. I want to be there to walk them down the aisle. And I am dedicated to setting the bar so stupidly high for my daughters that the very worst guy they can bring in is going to be head and shoulders above most guys. Right? That, that is my fatherly goal is I want to set the bar so high for how they think they're supposed to be treated that they can't help but bring home a good guy someday. Right. Great, man. Well, that is, I think that's a good place to end it there. Brent, I thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh, I thank you for letting me on to ramble, man. I hope you got something good out of this. No, I got tons of great stuff out of this. And I think anyone listening to it is going to agree. But uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, everyone who's listening right now, the guest today has been Brent Dolan. Uh, he is a men's, um, see, a men's personal development coach and the host of his own podcast, The Fallible Man. And um, for myself, uh, well, for him, I will put, of course, all his information in the show notes, the links to podcasts, the social media website, um, all the stuff you can easily find him at. It will be there in the show notes as normal. And you can 
can find uh, information to get a hold of me at the website. It's at renfitnesswarriors@gmail.com. There's also, of course, the, as you know, there is the online courses I offer for people who are suffering from you know, very common uh, deficiencies in neuromuscular functioning and, and strength and coordination. All these things that become more and more important as you get older. Um, so, you know, best stay on top of it because it's really hard to catch up. Um, <clears throat> so I, that'll all be in there as well. Also, if I can ask a big favor out of all of you who are listening, if you get value out of this podcast, out of these episodes, please consider giving a um, subscription and, and giving a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify as well. Every little bit helps. It increases the visibility of podcasts. And uh, I get a great guest on, like Brent today, who can talk for you know, we could probably just go on another hour easily on this subject. Uh, it's just never ending in its fascination. It's very good inf information. So thank you again. If you can do that, if you're listening, I really appreciate it. And uh, Brent, once again, I appreciate the time. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. Until next time, move forever. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments, cancel anytime. Every little bit helps, and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R E N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.